I'm going to be talking to Julian Jansen, who's the Market Applications Director for Fluence, a Siemens and AES company, about energy storage systems. So welcome to the interview, uh, Julian. Pleasure to be here, Malcolm. Look, why don't we start with an, an overview of energy storage systems, please? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just, just brief brief understanding, Fluence, we're one of the leading energy storage technology and services provider. And obviously, energy storage has kind of come a long way, and it's become a bit of a buzzword um, in the energy industry as a whole. Um, I've been monitoring markets for the last eight years. And, you know, eight years ago, we were looking at, at pilot systems. But fundamentally, what energy storage is and does, it's a flexible resource that can provide lots of different applications to our energy system and as such, help advance the transition of the energy systems towards more decentralized, decarbonized, um, and customer-centric um, uh, energy system ultimately and there's lots of different technologies and i won't go into all of them because that would take up the, the entire podcast but um you know primarily what we're seeing today is historically we mainly use pumped hydro energy storage so where you pump hydro up to a reservoir and then um, pump it for a turbine to generate electricity but really where the industry has shifted in the last 10 years or so is that battery energy storage in particular lithium-ion battery energy storage has become the most cost-effective, flexible solution to solve the issues that we're seeing on the grid today. But of course, in the long term, we will need a broader range of technologies that can also provide long duration bulk energy storage, where maybe lithium-ion batteries become less suitable, but that's really out towards 2050. So let's talk about some of the different batteries. We've got lithium-ion, which is the leading uh, chemistry at the moment. But I've done some interviews with experts about uh, iron air, about other other chemistries. Are there other competitors that are uh, either in the market uh, now at early stage or will be coming into the market uh, in the near future? Yeah, I've looked at this market for a long time. I've assessed lots of different technologies um, over time. And my view is not so much a competition, but complementarity of different technologies. Because I think we're now firmly in a place where anything below eight hour duration, lithium ion batteries are by far the most um, cost effective, scalable, um, and, and really most suitable technology in the market today. And I think it'll be very difficult for other technologies to overcome the um, advantages, but also just the, uh, how far ahead lithium ion is by now, because it's driven by the automotive industry in terms of scale. But when we look beyond eight hours, there's clearly a need for our energy system to have storage technologies to conserve that need as we get to higher and higher penetrations of renewables. And I think there's a wide field of technologies applicable to that. You know, I've already mentioned some technologies there, different batteries, whether that's flow batteries, whether that's you know, compressed air energy storage, liquid air energy storage, just new technologies coming out. You know, almost every other month, um, someone is coming up with a new technology that would solve these issues. And I think there's a role to play for a lot of these, um, but we need to really look at what's the value that they're providing, and then what's the best option, both from a cost perspective, but also from a technology and scalability perspective to overcome those challenges. So I would say, yes, there is definitely scope for lots of different technologies. I think it's too early to pick a winner in the very long term, but also that for the challenges we're trying to solve today, lithium ion has a clear advantage, and I expect it to continue to be the leading technology deployed for those value streams um, for the foreseeable future. It, it's common in technology adoption conversations, Julian, to talk about the, uh, the S-curve, 
And it would seem to me the lithium ion, lithium ion battery technology is now, it's hit the inflection point or it's very close to it. Uh, you know, there's an argument, uh, a debate about that. But are, is it fair to say then that these other technologies that are coming are, are much further back on the S curve and still have to work their way up? Maybe they're another five to 10 years, maybe even longer before they'll be competitive in the market? I think, again, it depends what you're trying to solve. So I think it will become very difficult, as I said, for some of the shorter duration applications for those technologies to really become competitive. And that's because lithium ion has got this big advantage driven by the automotive industry. And it's just it's just function of scale, like to be really, really open. You know, it's not often it's not always a, a function of is this the best technology based on these specific metrics, but it's a function of it's driven by scale that's driving down costs that is funding technology innovation and the energy storage space is benefiting from that scale. But ultimately, you know, if we look out to 2030, um, I think most analyst houses will, will publish something like 90% of total lithium-ion demand will be driven by the automotive industry. And that scale-up is something that we can benefit from in the energy industry and for stationary storage. So I would say, yes, you're right, they are further behind, but they also have some additional challenges. So I don't necessarily think it's just about catching up, but it's thinking about what problems are we trying to solve with these technologies rather than just trying to match lithium-ion. Because... I would say that ship has sailed just given the advantages at scale that lithium mine has. So focus on the additional values and design and develop to the technologies for those challenges we're trying to solve in the medium to long term. Well, let's talk about the, the storage markets beyond eight hours. What are a couple of the, the leading technologies uh, in that area? Um, well, to be honest, I, I won't really want to comment too much on it. I mean, for us at Fluence, we're obviously assessing all different types of technologies at the moment. Um, we are very much focused at delivering leading lithium-ion solutions into the market. Um, you know, and I think if we look beyond, um, you know, let's say 2030, and we look at the longer duration applications, I really wouldn't want to pick a winner. I've been asked that a lot in my previous life as a market analyst. That was a very typical question. And there's just too many unknowns. What I would, however, say is that the winning technology or the technologies that will most likely um, realize their potential, they need to be scalable. They need to be fast and flexible to deploy. And they need to become bankable. And that's a really key challenge because... At the moment, a lot of alternative technologies are coming out of startup companies, um, but we're looking here at 20, 30-year infrastructure assets. So we need to have clear um, views from the market that these technologies will be around, that these technologies will be serviceable, that the warranties will be um, adhered to, um, and that ultimately this is a bankable asset that investors can get behind. And those are much bigger challenges than actually solving technology problems, if that makes sense. Well, it, it certainly does. And are there different challenges if depending on the market? And here I'm thinking about uh, utility scale, uh, where you're integrating batteries into a power grid, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to, say, behind the meter applications for commercial industrial applications, or maybe virtual power plants, if you're talking about, you know, home applications, but aggregated uh, at the neighborhood or, or the city level, those sorts of things. What, what about what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think there's, these are all very different markets with their unique challenges, right? And they all, have, again, they all have a role to play. You know, we're looking at behind the meter systems, 
ultimately helping customers become more resilient, managing their energy costs. And that's a really crucial piece of the overall puzzle, but they can also provide services to like the local distribution company, local flexibility services, alleviate constraints on local networks, reduce backfeed of distributed generation. So they have a really crucial role to play. But I think at the same time, we really need to look at what are the big challenges that we're facing in our energy system. And that's increasingly, how do we integrate large utility scale renewables? How do we actually transport electricity from A to B in a more efficient way without us having to build ever more power lines, which are obviously facing a lot of resistance? And then also, how can we use um, battery energy storage in particular to overcome some of the challenges that we're seeing from taking off um, thermal generation, you know, like inertia. So that's something that you know was always part of the grid because we had um, you know, spinning generation which, which produced that. But batteries can do that. They can provide synthetic or digital inertia to replace that, which renewable plants can't. So there's a clear advantage coming in there and overall managing our energy system in a much more efficient way. And for that, as I said, you do need all levels. But I think, again, when we look at um, industry observers, there's a clear view that utility scale storage will be the bigger market opportunity. And it's probably rightly so because it has some clear benefits at scale um, to manage the energy system in a more efficient um, and ultimately more reliable, more cheap, or more economically efficient way for all customers as well. What role do uh, electricity markets play in the deployment of uh, battery storage, energy storage systems at uh, a, a power grid scale, uh, Julian? Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Mark, and because this really depends on the market that you're looking at, right? Ultimately, um, every power system has its own regulatory frameworks, um, different ways in how it works, and you know, not even just on a country level, right? I mean. ERCOT works very different than KISO in the US. And when we look at European markets, the way the, the UK um, energy system is run um, is different to how the German energy system is run. So there's always unique challenges in each market. I think fundamentally there's different levels, right? There's the system operation. Um, you know, how can we manage the network in a most efficient way and procuring things like frequency regulation, capacity, reserves, and then there's the kind of pure merchant wholesale model. Um, and what we've seen historically is that ultimately storage has found it easier and more accessible to initially target um, the system services, the balancing services like frequency regulation, because it just lends itself a lot more to the technological advantages that batteries provide. But as we, as we kind of see more renewables come into the market, the wholesale piece, and in particular wholesale arbitrage, plays a much greater role. So basically using storage systems to either charge when there is um, an oversupply of power. So power prices are very low. And then discharge during, for example, evening peak hours when power prices start going up. So that pure arbitrage case, but also just shifting the generation from renewable resources. And I think we're starting to get to a point where, at least when we look at the European or EMEA market and, and region, there's some countries where that might not be purely profitable right now but it's starting to become a really crucial piece of the value stream puzzle and the revenue stack, so to speak, you know, whether that's um, actually directly doing arbitrage or if it's just managing imbalanced um, charges and imbalanced penalties for um, uh, traders and, and generators within those markets. But also we need to remember 
there's still barriers for storage to contribute and participate in these markets. So it's really important that we continue to break down these barriers and continue to enable market access for a wider range of assets. Well, let's talk about Europe uh, from that point of view. My understanding is that given the, the new um, uh, energy deal that the European Union has, has introduced, that you know, distributed energy renewables are going to be a big part of that. Uh, how do you see that moving forward uh, and the implications for energy storage systems? Yeah, I think both the European Union and industry stakeholders have acknowledged that storage has a very crucial role to play in enabling that, right? We always have to remember storage is an enabling technology. It's not a generation technology. So it won't solve the challenge of decarbonizing our electricity um, supply, but it has a really crucial role in enabling us to build the scales of renewables that we need to decarbonize and do that in a more effective, more efficient way. So that's acknowledged at a European Union level. There's still certain barriers, both at a European level, but also at a member state level. And of course, markets that aren't in the European Union um, also are looking at this and are identifying the, the challenges that exist and how to overcome that. Um, so that's the first point. The second point is there's a clear view now that out, out of the COVID recovery, so there's a, there's a large COVID recovery fund, um, which is actually linked in many parts towards um, sustainable and clean energy projects. I think that's something that renewables and storage can benefit um, significantly from. And then also, I think, addressing some of the challenges around transmission distribution of electricity and actually making it easier for system operators to deploy storage, to directly procure storage um, and create the markets to help solve those issues that they're facing. Because ultimately in an interconnected grid like Central Europe, for example, there's a huge amount of flexibility between countries. Um, and as we see the buildup of renewables across the continent, that's different resources. You know, that might be solar in Southern Europe in particular, wind in Central and Northern Europe, you know, offshore wind in the North Sea, um, large hydro resources in, in Northern Europe. So actually interconnecting that well and managing the um, flow of energy within that and utilizing storage to make that more efficient without us building a huge amount of additional power infrastructure or traditional transmission infrastructure is a very big challenge. And I think we're slowly moving towards the acknowledgement, but then in the second phase, actually breaking down of barriers and enabling the value streams that then drive deployment of storage within the markets. If you could look out over the next five or 10 years, uh, Julian, what are some of the two or three top trends that you see in energy storage systems in uh, Europe? Hmm. I think one clearly stands out that I just kind of touched up on a little bit from the application side, but it's, it's a concept of virtual transmission lines and um, utilizing storage to make transmission infrastructure more efficient um, but also helping overcome some of the challenges in terms of build out in the long term, right? Because that, that's exactly the point, right? How do we um, get our infrastructure fit um, for the future? So that's definitely one area that I see as a, as a crucial application and also one where there's a lot of work going into solving that. It's funnily enough, not the most, you know, I would, I would call it attractive thing that people talk about. It's a bit more like the nerd application of, of storage. Um, it's a lot more complex. Um, you know, it's ultimately something that is kind of happening in the grid planners um, view and, and cabin. Um, but I think it's actually a really, really crucial topic and um, that people don't talk about enough. I think the other piece is certainly what we're seeing 
um, in some markets, solar plus storage um, is becoming more interesting, whether that's on a merchant level. So in markets like Southern Europe, where you have large deployment of merchant solar, we need to um, utilize storage to actually make those solar plants more economic in the long term um, and actually start shifting that electricity that's generated, which you know at certain times of the day can cover the entire electricity um, supply, but then at other times um, lacks. So utilizing storage to help shift that and, and enable that. And then really start thinking about what's the kind of next stage of revenue streams for storage, but also the next wave of problems that storage can help solve. And you know, I think some markets are a lot further here than others. And it's a bit more of a, where the problem is the, the strongest, that's where people look to alleviate it. And everyone else is kind of waiting until they start facing a similar problem. So I think it's thinking about, you know, how can we actually monetize or incentivize the fast response time of storage assets, right? And storage as battery storage assets can respond in you know, 200 milliseconds or, or even quicker. You know, that's huge value to a system operator because you catch problems much earlier before they actually, you know, start becoming um, more of an issue in terms of blackouts, et cetera. The other thing is how can we um, look at specific capacity constraints in key locations, you know, because we're building out higher demand centers, but we don't have the generation nearby anymore because we don't have power plants within the vicinity. So can storage help alleviate those capacity constraints and really start thinking about longer term and thinking ahead of what will be the problems that we're facing in the future? And is storage the right toolkit or storage is part of the toolkit to address that? So how can we make sure that we can effectively allow for that to be the case? Julian, uh, for any new technology, uh, there are accelerators that speed up the technology uh, uh, adoption and diffusion, and then there are, are constraints to uh, that technology adoption. So could I get you to maybe address the top couple or three uh, accelerators uh, for energy storage systems? Yeah, I think the accelerators are really clear, right? It's it's bringing down regulatory barriers is, is the number one. And, you know, that's something we've seen in, in the markets that are leading, you know, whether that's markets like California, whether that's markets like the UK, um, breaking down those regulatory barriers allows storage to compete. And that's, you know, we're seeing that when utilities in the US start running all sorts of solicitations, like, or, or, you know, technology neutral solicitations, storage suddenly is competitive with gas peakers, you know, as an example. So breaking down those barriers is really important because storage is economic today and we need to allow it to compete on a level footing, right? We need to allow for the best, most cost-effective and best solution from a sustainability perspective to, to help overcome that. So that's number one. I think the other piece is starting to value, and this is not a new thing. People have been talking about this for a long time, but it's still relevant. Valuing fast response, valuing the fact that storage can provide synthetic inertia. So creating a way that a developer or an IPP can actually monetize that because otherwise they won't deploy those assets. So then we're going, well, in 10 years, suddenly we're facing blackouts because we can't match our supply and demand, right? So we need to start thinking about how is that valued and how, how do we allow other people to then monetize that within our energy system? Um, I think the other um, area really is, is scale and productization, right? This is still a young industry and I think it's important to acknowledge that. And there's a lot of learning that has been done by some of the leading um, technology and solution providers like ourselves um, and really kind of keep continuing to drive down the full 
system, but also the full lifetime cost for effective management, effective services, and helping to integrate that. I think that's going to be a really crucial point because it's not just all about the battery itself, which is obviously on that trajectory, but it's also looking at the entire solution and how that's integrated within hybrid power plants. Uh, speaking of the, of the full solution, what are a couple or three of the enabling technologies uh, that are important to energy storage systems? And I'm thinking of things like, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, those sorts of things. I think you touch upon a great point there because ultimately we're not looking at the development of the storage industry in isolation. We're looking at the development of the, of the storage industry in line with the development of virtual power plants, demand response technologies, and actually automated trading, automated dispatching of different assets into different energy markets, finding the optimal way of utilizing that asset. So AI and software plays a really crucial role here. And you know that that's something that for us has been at the forefront of our thinking, you know, through our Fluence Digital um, brand, with with actively you know providing um, market access, um, dispatching of storage and other um, power assets within different types of power markets across the world. And that's really crucial because as we're trying to optimize our energy system, that has to be, be done automatically. That has to be done by software that can identify the problems in real time and decide what's the best solution to address that problem and how do I make these decisions? And that's only possible through AI because you start having to make a decision do I dispatch my system now or do I dispatch my system in two hours time, depending on some capacity constraints and weather forecasts that I might be seeing? But that's a diff difficult decision because from a, a human point of view, if I was making that decision, you might say, well, actually, right now is the best point to discharge. But from a system perspective, that may not be the optimal point because there's so many other data points to take into account. And that's where digital solutions, artificial intelligence um, has an absolute crucial role to play to allow for the most efficient utilization of storage assets within the market. This has been a uh, fascinating insight into energy storage systems. Uh, Julian, any final thoughts? Look, I think we're something to really remember is storage is really scaling up right now. We're still at a fairly early stage. You know, we're moving into, into the adolescence phase of, of the storage industry as, as one of my esteemed colleagues in the industry has, has rightly observed in the past. And that brings with it huge opportunities and brings with it clear learning curves um, as we're deploying these assets across the world into new markets. And I think the really important thing that I always try to remind all the stakeholders in the market about is look at what's worked elsewhere. You know, you're not unique. Your market isn't unique. Somebody else has been trying to work on this and other regulators worked on this, a technology provider has worked on this. So what can you learn and how, you can, how can you make it better? You know, look at what's worked well and think about how you can improve it and make it more applicable for you. And I think that's when we start seeing storage really taking off, playing a crucial role and just having that open mind and being technology agnostic and finding the best solution for the problem you're trying to solve and not being stuck in your old ways of thinking. Julian, always appreciate your insights. Thank you very much for this. Thank you very much, Malcolm.